The Pittsburgh Penguins don't care if you live or die. That's right. The mayor has decided that your life is in danger if you show up at a parade downtown. So the St. Patrick's Day parade, which has been going on almost continuously since 1869, I think continuously since 1950, and was scheduled for Saturday, is canceled because of the coronavirus. Can't have thousands of people bumping into and breathing on each other with this virus going around. But the Penguins, showing no concern for their loyal fans, have announced that they will allow fans in for the game against the New York Islanders on Sunday, which is nice, since they already paid for the tickets. So this must mean that they have no concern for the health of their fans, right? Well, how could it be okay to have 18,000 people sitting next to each other and breathing on each other for three hours, but it's not okay for them to be doing it outside the day before the parade? Or maybe the Penguins just haven't bought into the insanity. That would be nice. I think that might be more of it. Anyway, there have been no cases of the coronavirus in Western PA, as far as I know. Could have changed today. And if there is any real danger involved in having all those people inside the PPG on Sunday, shouldn't the police be blocking the doors? The NCAA, by the way, just announced that all men's and women's basketball games scheduled for next week will be played in the venues where they were scheduled, but with no fans. Are basketball fans more susceptible to the coronavirus than hockey fans? I don't know. Pitt and Penn State have canceled in-person classes. Students will attend class online. But what about Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Slippery Rock, Geneva, Grove City? I, I haven't heard if they're all doing the same. Maybe they are, but how could they not be? If it's a bad idea for kids to show up on campus at Pitt and Penn State, how could it be okay for kids to show up on any campus? How could it be okay for high school kids to show up for class? I mean, I don't know the answers to those questions. I'm asking them. Is all this necessary? Uh, there are lots of doctors out there, including Dr. Drew, the famous uh, TV guy, saying that there is uh, this, this unjustified hysteria is ridiculous. We had one on the show yesterday. We come back, we're going to talk to a guy who will tell you what it's like to see a Major League Baseball game in an empty ballpark and talk to him about what to expect in other sports. Stick around. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. And out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company, offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roof siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Mention STAG for an additional 10% off. Windows R Us, proud sponsor of the Jerk of the Week, heard every Friday on the John Steigerwald Show. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Thanks to Genesis 950, I can have guests in my home without the shame of pet stains and odors. Genesis 950 with water breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. All pet owners should have Genesis 950 on hand. I can even use it in my carpet cleaning machine. And it's green, so it's safe for my family and pets. Before you purchase new carpets, you must try Genesis 
Genesis 950. It's made in America. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's great for floors, bathrooms, kitchens, garages, oil and grease stains, wheels, tires, degreasing engines, and upholstery. It's available on Amazon. However, if you order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com, you'll receive a free spray bottle and discount using code SALEM. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 400,000 businesses. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash America. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash America. One more time. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash America. It's time to stand with Israel. Sebastian Gorka here inviting you to register for a life-changing trip to Israel December 2nd to 11th. Join me, my friend Mike Lindell, and hundreds of patriots on the Stand with Israel tour, a journey to the Holy Land to get first-hand insights into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Register today at SebGorka.com. On the Stand with Israel tour, history, culture, and faith will converge right before your eyes in a truly remarkable country. I'll take you behind the scenes to explore over 40 iconic sites during an all-inclusive 10-day tour this December. We'll pray at the ancient Western Wall, sail the picturesque Sea of Galilee, float on the Dead Sea, explore modern Tel Aviv, and much more. Best of all, we'll be together with like-minded supporters of the nation of Israel. Reserve your spot today and travel with me on the Stand with Israel tour. Visit sebgorka.com and click on the Israel banner. That's sebgorka.com, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A dot com. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. So it's only a matter of time before everything is canceled. Uh, The Pittsburgh uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade is off, as you heard. And maybe it would be easier to just, you know, cancel 2020. Come back next March, pick up where we left off. As we mentioned before the break, there's a chance that the NCAA basketball tournament could be played with no fans in the stands. Imagine that. And it could happen to Major League Baseball teams. Now imagine what it would be like to see a Major League Baseball game in a Major League ballpark that's completely empty. Well, Dave Shinen doesn't have to imagine it. He experienced it. Dave's a columnist for the Washington Post. He joins us now. Dave, thanks for being here. Of course. Uh, pleasure to be here. So you uh, you wrote a piece today in the Washington Post about having experienced a baseball game in a major league stadium with no fans. And the reason, uh, obviously, that you decided to um, remember that for, for your uh, uh, readers is because that could be happening a lot here soon. So what was it like? That was at, uh, where, where um, was it? Orioles Park, right? It was. It was Camden Yards in Baltimore. It was in the wake of the uh, civil unrest in Baltimore following the Freddie Gray deaths in police custody. And, um, you know, it it was not great. I mean, I don't think anybody can say they really enjoyed it. Um, it felt, it, it just felt wrong. 
it felt like a bastardized, um, grotesque version of baseball that um, was very unsatisfying, I think, to everybody involved. And I think anybody who was there would never want to go through it again. Yeah, it's just kind of describe what the what it was like. I mean, you're a guy who covers games there regularly, and you there's a certain feel that there is, that you get when you walk mm-hmm. into a major league ballpark, whether you're in the seats yeah. or in the press box, and there you are, and it's a minute before the first pitch, and there ain't nobody there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, what was missing was you know just the intensity, the electricity of a game. You know, it, it, the Orioles in recent years haven't drawn well at all, and and you know you're in Pittsburgh there they have problems thing, drawing yeah. fans but but still you know even even 10,000 fans uh put put off a, a bit of electricity and intensity that that players feed on um when there's a live audience and and that was missing so it just felt dead and eerie and um just a little bit um you know, not lackadaisical because the players were still trying. The game still mattered and, and counted in the standings, but just um, it, it was just a, a very dead atmosphere. Do you think the players got an appreciation for what they may have been taking for granted all through their careers, even going back to the minor leagues, of having been able to play in front of a decent crowd, making some noise? Yeah, I suspect so. Um, you know, I mean, players sometimes in, in the low minor leagues or in – you know, instructional leagues or in spring training B games. Sometimes you'll play to just a, a handful of fans and, and you get used to it at that age. But by the time you're, you know, a 30 year old big leaguer with, you know, six or eight years under your belt, you know, you, you, you maybe take it for granted. Um, and, and I think it was somewhat of a, of a wake up call to, uh, some players as to why they play the games in the first place. The, the, the games are there for the fans. They're entertainment for the fans. And when that's missing, something is, is drastically wrong. Well, a million years ago, I was the play-by-play announcer for the Charleston Charlies uh, of the International League. They were the Pirates' AAA team. And hmm. our attendance for the year, we played uh, 140 games. We played 70 uh, home games. Our attendance for the year was seventy-two thousand. So, uh, wow. and there were like two or three um, nights a year where they had these big promotions where they drew four or five thousand people. So mm-hmm. the other sixty-eight or sixty-seven games, whatever it was, we drew less than a thousand people a game. And so right. I got a real good uh, appreciation for what a uh, um, what a game is like without a crowd. And I'm doing the play-by-play. I call a home run for the home team, the Charleston Charlies, and this is what you hear. That's the that's the crowd noise. You can take uh, the yeah. best baseball announcer you know and put them in a in a in a booth, and and you're not going to sound very good if that's the that's the that's the noise in the background after you call an exciting home run. So I got a good appreciation for it. Um, but this is going to be happening in other places, isn't it? I mean, what well, you experienced. It, it is. I mean, there's a very good chance of it. I mean, yeah, I think baseball's preference is to relocate games if they're impossible to play uh, in those locations in front of fans. I think they would rather relocate the games to areas that are uh, less affected by the coronavirus rather than play them to empty stadiums. But at some point, that might become impossible as nearly you know every municipality in the U.S. at some point is, is going to be dealing with this. 
So uh, for now, we're looking at relocating games, but I do think that playing in empty stadiums is uh, eventually going to come, and it's already come uh, in other sports. The the Golden State Warriors are going to play to an empty arena tomorrow night at home. And so, you know, it's going to be part of the reality here. I mean, baseball is a sport uh, that in the vast majority of cases with outdoor stadiums cannot be pushed. Their schedule can't be pushed into deep November and December for obvious reasons, for weather reasons. So, so, you know, postponing games is, is not really an option for more than a couple of weeks. Well, uh, you mentioned that in, in um, Japan, they've pushed back their regular season indefinitely. Imagine that. Uh, can you imagine that happening in Major League Baseball? Opening day is not April 2nd, but uh, we don't know when it's going to be. might be July 2nd. Well, I think that baseball has to have that possibility in mind. You know, you have to be preparing for something like that. Uh, that's a worst case scenario, obviously, is, is, is scrapping, you know, entire segments of the schedule. Um, like I said, I don't think you could push the schedule back into deep November or December given the weather issues. So at that point, you'd be looking at losing games completely. So I do think that's, um, uh, the last resort. For, for baseball, but um, I think if you're Rob Mann or the commissioner, that's something you're going to have to consider uh, somewhere along the line. Well, they also have to consider uh, once they make a decision to play a game without fans, and you've started your schedule, um, how many games do you think they'd be willing to play? I mean, not an exact number, but uh, how, how long do you think any sport, but because Major League Baseball is the next biggie to start here in the next few weeks, how long do you think they would go uh, playing games with no fans? Mm, that's a great question, and, and I don't think they have the answer. Do it at once is one um, thing, I, you know. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, the, you know, from what experts are saying out there, you know, this, this virus may not be uh, ready to peak until maybe May. Um, so, you know, we could be dealing with this for months, um, and, and I don't know how long they're prepared uh, to, to do something like this. And the other part is that at some point, you know, a player or two or, or a dozen or a hundred are, are going to become a, uh, infected, and then, you know, it's a matter of, you know, can they be in the proximity of teammates? And um, so, you know, players aren't immune to this, and, and I think that, you know, all of these possibilities are going to have to be considered. Now, I, I don't know if you saw the story, but the um, people from uh, Turner, uh, TNT, and um, I don't know who else, maybe it was CBS, talking about uh, the possibility of the NCAA basketball tournament being played in an empty gym. And, well, not a gym, obviously, mm-hmm. but, you know, in, with no fans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, they, and they're saying they don't think it would affect the ratings that much. I, I don't know if I'm buying that. Are you? <laughs> You know, I I think that um, I mean I think that people would tune in um, first of all uh, just for the novelty of it. Um, so you might actually get more people tuning in just to see what that looks like. You would also get the you know uh, twenty thousand or so fans of those teams who were planning to be there on site who are now going to be watching on TV. So I, I don't know. I think it's possible that it, it might not affect ratings in a negative way and may even uh, boost ratings, at least initially, because of the novelty of it. So I have no idea. This is uncharted territory for everybody. Uh, I would be able to uh, instruct the, uh, or at least give the play-by-play guys uh, a little bit of an idea what it will be like 
when a guy yeah. hits a three-pointer with uh, 12 seconds left in the game to, to put his team up, and you hear this. I don't, you know, the, the, the players <laughs> clapping on the bench. People don't understand. I, I don't think they, uh, I, I think it would be a, 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 a really good way, in a bad way, to um, show people just how much fans mean to the atmosphere of a game. Can you, I mean, can you imagine watching a, a Final Four game and all you hear are the sneakers squeaking on the floor and the, the coaches mm-hmm. yelling? I, I, this, it's not going to be the same thing. No, no, it's certainly not. And, and from an announcer standpoint, too, I mean, you know what? You're, you're probably like speaking in a in a golf announcer's voice that's right. barely above a whisper, yeah, right? Because and they then, can hear you, you know, screaming if across the you know you're sitting on the right. floor, yeah. And at, at least you know on rate on the radio side when 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 a game is decided in the in the final seconds or the last swing of the bat or you know at the buzzer, you know part of your job is to get out of the way. And listen, let the crowd noise tell the story for a, a, a period of time, and of course that's going to be impossible too. So there's a lot to consider um, from no matter what standpoint you're coming at these games from, whether it's in the broadcast booth or the coach or the players or whatever the referees, um, everything is going to be altered by this. We're talking to Dave Shine, and he's a columnist with the uh, Washington Post. Wrote a piece today at uh, WashingtonPost.com, his experience of covering an Orioles game with uh, no fans a few years ago at uh, Camden Yards and the possibility of that happening again because of the uh, uh, coronavirus. Um, I'm just wondering, this is a pretty... A baseball and opening day in Washington, D.C. is kind of a big deal this year. Uh, And more so than it might be. I mean, when you win a World Series, people are kind of looking forward to that. What's the Absolutely. what's the talk? Do you, any talk from the Nationals about this? I mean, they're going to be the last team that's going to want to have an empty stadium. Yeah, or or to move their game somewhere else where their home fans can't, yeah. you know, participate. Yeah, um, I mean, there's no official word yet, but every team in baseball um, is monitoring what's going on and monitoring what's going on in their cities. You know. Um, so it's going to be taken on a case-by-case basis. Uh, Seattle has already, uh, the Seattle Mariners have already said they're going to have to move their uh, opening day games, uh, possibly to keeping their team in Arizona. Instead of breaking camp at spring training and heading north, they would stay down there. Um, so it's going, to, it's going to start moving across the country. Washington has been hit by the virus, so... Um, I think it's just a matter of time before uh, Nationals games are affected. Uh, whether it, it's affected, you know, before opening day here in Washington, where they're going to raise the World Series banner, and then the following night they're going to uh, distribute the World Series rings to the players. Um, I don't know if those are going to be affected yet, but we, we will know in, in the coming days. Yeah, and um, so you haven't had any discussions yourself with, with the Nationals? Um, well, I have, but you know they don't know anything. Yeah, I mean they, you know, they're, you know what, what it, what's going to end up happening is similar to what happened in Seattle. Is that there's going to be a government official in, in the case of, of Washington State? It was the governor Jay Inslee uh, announcing that that public gatherings of 250 or more people are being banned, mm-hmm. and that forced the hand of the Mariners and Major League Baseball. And that's probably what's going to happen in other municipalities, including Washington, D.C., where, you know, there's going to be a, a decree, an announcement made that public gatherings are banned. 
Um, and that's what's going to be the impetus for making a change. And, and so, uh, you know, it's really just a waiting game at this point. Yeah, um, and I just, uh, this, I just thought of this now. Um, with the World Series uh, champions and uh, opening day, is Donald Trump going to throw out the first pitch? Um, in the past, he has not. Um, no, but they didn't I win the World Series. Yeah. Correct. Right. That, that could change things. Um, I think, though, that given the present atmosphere, um, I think that the realization there is that you know it would not be a very great reception for him. And thus, he would probably want to avoid that. And so I would be very surprised if that were to happen. Um, but I guess you can't rule it out. I just noticed here today uh, that I know of one high school basketball game that's already been a, a PIAA state championship uh, game has been canceled uh, because of the virus. I don't know when it's going to be played. What's happening in, in the D.C. area with local sports, college sports? Well, um, you know, since since seasons are winding down with college spring sports, you know, basketball, for example, uh, we're now entering, you know, uh, conference tournaments. Um, there's not a whole lot of movement there. I mean, Washington, D.C., the city has banned uh, large public gatherings, but um, the Washington Wizards and Capitals of the NBA and NHL uh, they have announced they're going to go forward with games in their home arenas with fans. Uh, we will see how that goes and whether there will be resistance to that. So some teams appear to be defying uh, the recommended, you know, municipal um, banishments. But, uh, you know, again, this is an incredibly fast-moving story that, that changes daily, um, and, and it remains to be seen just how far those um, – commitments are going to go well i covered sports for a long time excuse me mm -hmm. I, I covered sports for a long time and i it's been in a lot of locker rooms and uh from what i understand last night uh, the penguins uh did not allow anybody in the locker room after the game no no media and i think that's the policy for a while um right what do you think that's going to do i mean i i, I always felt I almost wish that people would they would not allow anybody in the locker room then I wouldn't have to go in as long as nobody else was going in and you know beating me to the story if they kept us all out <coughs> excuse me that'd be good um but what do you think about how how's that going how's the how are the sports media going to react to that well it's already happening across all the sports uh, you know in baseball spring training right now Plus the NHL and the NBA, they're you know they're not allowing reporters into the locker rooms. Um, they're keeping a six to eight foot barrier around players when they do come out of the locker room to speak to the media. Um, I, I do think that baseball is unique in that there has um, always been um, a lot of access to the players, a lot of time spent with the players. Um, especially on a daily basis because baseball is a, a basically a, a daily game. And I do think that it's going to harm the level of reporting, uh, the depth and breadth of reporting that's done on the game. And, and I do, I do really hope as a, as somebody who has covered baseball for most of my career, I do hope that it's only temporary and that once the, the virus uh, passes that, uh, we'll get back to normal. Hey, Dave, I'm out of time. I appreciate you coming on. Good piece today, and we'll all be watching to see if uh, that we're going to be seeing games with no fans. It should be a strange experience. Right. Thanks. 
Well, thanks for having me today. Okay, that's Dave Shining, and we'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Washington State's governor has announced a ban on gatherings of more than 250 people in virtually the entire Seattle metro area to try to stop the spread of the coronavirus in the state where at least 24 people have died. Bernie Sanders is moving ahead with his Democratic presidential campaign. He told reporters in Burlington that he's not quitting, despite key primary losses to Joe Biden the night before. The Vermont senator's path to the presidential nomination considerably narrowed after decisive losses to Biden in Michigan, Missouri, and Mississippi. Stocks closing sharply lower on Wall Street, erasing more than 1,400 points from the Dow Industrials. The market was also weighed down by a continued decline in oil prices, which fell another 4%. The Dow dropped 1,465 points. The Nasdaq was off 392. This is SRN News. This is Carl on his motorcycle. Let's ride till we run out of gas. And this is Carl off his motorcycle. Balsa wood is very different than teak. People confuse the two. On his motorcycle. Hey, check out that view. Off his motorcycle. Let's do puzzles in the break room. On. Look at all that open road. Off. Look how long my fingernails are getting. You're better on your bike. Progressive helps keep you on it. Get a quote in as little as three minutes at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. From the creators of I Could Only Imagine and Mercy Me's Bart Miller. Now we have an artist who's had 32 number one singles. Let's welcome Jeremy Camp. On March 13th. They're getting married. I'm supposed to be with her. I can't explain it. I just know that. Based on the inspiring true story. He chose to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. I still believe. I still believe. Starring KJ Apa, Britt Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters March 13th. Go to IStillBelieveMovie.com. Dr. Sebastian Gorka has some words to live by. You do not apologize for being on the side of truth. You do not apologize for standing up to your Christian values. They'll get out the hammer. They'll get out the pile driver. And then they'll try and take you down finally. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The Answer. I'm working in a job that I love. Because I was given a chance. To show that my disability is only one part of who I am. Who I am. Who I am. At work, it's what people can do that matters. For more information, visit whatcanyoudocampaign.org. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy and Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job. It's what we do. You have the same goals we all do, to protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law, legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. When you've got water, fire, or smoke damage, there's no debate. You have to vote yellow. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Our team is ready to help 24 hours a day. The man, the yellow van. Service Master. Politics can be, well, dirty. That's one mess Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh can't clean up. But we've got you covered on everything else, from water damage to smoke and fire damage. The man, the yellow van. Call Service Master. Wake up and text. 
text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. On the Parkway East, some heavy delays outbound. Boulevard of the Allies to Edgewood, Swiss Vale. Almost about a 15-minute backup inbound. Britain Road overpass to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Also, County Jail to the Fort Pitt Bridge delays. Parkway West, that's very busy inbound. Carnegie to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound 28 heavy Veterans Bridge to 40th Street. Add from Route 8 to the Highland Park Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. Cloudy, cloudy skies for tonight with a low 40. Mainly cloudy tomorrow with a few afternoon showers and a high 64. Tomorrow night mild with times of rain and a low 51. Friday, a few morning showers, otherwise windy and cooler with clouds making way for some sunshine and a high 53. Saturday, cloudy with a passing shower and a high 46. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, I should mention in the last few minutes, uh, the NCAA announced that there will be no fans at their games beginning next week. Their tournament games, men's or women's basketball. Interesting. Maybe have more on that later. But anyway, uh, you've probably noticed that this is an election year. Uh, most of the attention right now is on the presidential election and who's going to be nominated by the Democrats. But right now, uh, it doesn't look like Joe Biden, but uh, lots of people are, are running for lesser offices all over the country. For example, Nancy Pelosi is actually running for re-election. You know, she has to do that every two years out in San Francisco. It's only a formality, actually. But that's where homelessness is a big problem and appears to be a Democrat problem. We should be hearing more about that as we get closer to the election. Chris Rufo is a writer and documentary filmmaker who's been following this problem for a long time. He joins us now. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So uh, you've been on before. We've talked about this. Uh, you you are, I think, the, one of the major experts on this issue in the country. Uh, the first question, though, in your piece for the Daily Signal that I saw recently, you wrote that there are 166,752 people on the streets of California, Oregon, and Washington. I want to know who counted them and how you got it to the right down to the to the, to the single digit there. Yeah, well, this is a, an annual count that is uh, funded by HUD and the federal government and then implemented by county and local governments uh, in, in every county and every city in the United States. So it's, it's, it's a best guess, um, and uh, it is the best number that we have available. And what's really shocking about that number is just how disproportionately this problem is distributed throughout the United States. And it is absolutely not an overstatement to say that the vast majority of people on the streets have have migrated to uh, or became homeless in America's West Coast cities. Yeah, uh, and the, it's not a national problem where you might be led to believe, as you might be led to believe by the media. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But the, the headline of your piece is uh, what's really driving the homelessness crisis. I have a feeling that local government has played a pretty big role in that. Am I right? 
You're right. I think it's really two things. First of all, you have some of the deep human problems that drive homelessness in a really direct way. The, the two biggest, which would be uh, addiction and mental illness. So you see on the West Coast, uh, predominantly heroin, fentanyl, and methamphetamines. Uh, among the unsheltered, it's about 75 to 78 percent have a serious addiction. And also mental illness, it's about the same number. About 75 percent of the folks on the streets have a severe mental illness. Um, but that's really just half of the story. The other half that doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think is essential, are permissive public policies from West Coast cities that make that make their cities, frankly, an attractive environment to live on the streets, to do drugs, to commit property crimes, to survive. And until they can really balance compassion with enforcement, what we're going to see is this problem is going to get worse in the places that are most tolerant, and most permissive. And the problem will get better in the places that have a bit stricter uh, policy stance towards this issue. But, I mean, I don't live out there. You do. I think you're in Washington. You're in Seattle. Yep. I, I, I don't live out there. And so I'm, it's hard for me to understand how something like this is so obvious, so visible, so nauseating. Uh, people pooping on the streets and shooting up on the streets. And how is it that the elected officials keep getting reelected if they are known to be responsible for this? Or have they been able to avoid being tagged with it somehow by, by, by with the help of the media or just I don't know. How do they do it? So these are, as far as demographics, the most progressive voting blocks in the country. And what's happened is that they've become one party states very reminiscent to the kind of one-party systems in Latin America, where there's one party, and because there's really only one option for voters, uh, they're able to either uh, just use their political power to keep winning elections, because there's no alternative, or in this case, what they've done is they've, they've tried to successfully, in the public opinion, blame the homelessness crisis on Amazon, on technology companies, on expensive rents, and they've maintained this narrative that has very little basis in fact, but it's very persuasive for the kind of Bernie Sanders, Democratic Socialist uh, voting bloc that looks at people on the streets and refuses to acknowledge addiction and mental illness and is just persuaded by this idea that uh, companies like Amazon are throwing people out on the streets. Uh, I, but I understand that, you know, that, uh, that um, San Francisco has become Havana when it comes to politics. Uh, you know, you're a Democrat, you get elected. But I'm just wondering about the, the, the people, the, the citizens who have to trip over people who are sleeping in a tent a block away from where they either live or work, and why there's not rioting in the streets from those people to get those, the, the, the homeless off the streets. Well, what you're seeing is that privately people have, uh, are starting to rebel, they're starting to get upset, they're starting to hit a breaking point where they're saying, wait a minute, this isn't compassionate to let people sleep on the streets. It's becoming unsafe. It's becoming unsanitary. It's a major health risk. But publicly, there is a, a really a taboo against a lot of these ideas, a lot of the, frankly, acknowledging the truth. Uh, you'll be attacked immediately as uncompassionate, as a homeless hater, as a kind of police state fascist. And that prevents a lot of people. And I think the public polling data shows the majority of people want a tougher stance. They think it's a huge problem, but they're really just scared to speak out because the media and the political institutions in cities like Seattle, San Francisco, L.A. have really uh, maintained monopoly on the public discourse. 
and uh, and you have these political leaders who essentially can't tell the truth because they're going to get hammered for it by their base. See, I, 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 it's all very confusing to me, Chris. And we're talking to Chris Rufo. He's a writer and documentary filmmaker who's an expert on homelessness. Um, uh, the most recent piece that I saw was in the Daily Signal. Um, I, I, um, I still, I just don't get it that this is not something where you're talking about something invisible like you know higher or lower taxes or uh, something that the school board comes up with. This is an issue that directly affects the people who actually have to walk down the streets in these places. And they're they're so afraid of being um, accused of not caring enough that they would put up with this. It's just stunning, it's stunning to me. It is. It's a, it's a really intense kind of ideological environment, and people are people are scared to speak out. People don't know where to put their voice, put their vote. They don't know what to do about it. I think privately, again, people have a lot of discomfort, and they're watching the cities really collapse under the weight of this problem. But but ideology is a very powerful drug. I mean, I think it's the most powerful drug in these West Coast cities. And people are frankly just bought into this ideology where it makes them blind to even the obvious reality that surrounds them. And I think, though, there has to be a breaking point. And I think that if this situation continues to deteriorate, uh, the chances are that it will. There has to be a breaking point where people say enough is enough. Some people stand up and show some courage publicly, calling out uh, the facts for what they really are. And then you'll start to see that narrative change and you'll start to see the politics adapt. But until that happens, unfortunately, the status quo uh, has a lot of inertia behind it, has a lot of mass, has a lot of power. And, you know, the West Coast, the stereotypes of the West Coast, not all of them are true, um, but some of them are, and this is one that people uh, want to appear uh, virtuous in line with the progressive dogma more than they want to fix actual real life tangible problems. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Call me crazy, Chris, but I would think poop on the street would be a breaking point for most people. <laughs> I, I think here in Pittsburgh it would be. We don't have, we, we, we you hardly hear um, talk about homeless people here. It's just it's not a it's not an issue here. I mean, we have them, I'm sure. And I, you, know, you see them, but it's it's just not there. There's I, I don't think there's a scene anywhere in Pittsburgh that comes close to resembling some of the things you know I've seen in in San Francisco and L.A. where that's you know streets just uh, are are camps with tents. So I mean, I, I, yeah. Uh, if poop on the street doesn't break you, what what are we waiting for here? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, and it's a lot worse than that. You know, we've had murders in homeless encampments. We've had uh, rapes in homeless encampments. We've had stories of a person who was uh, picked up by police eating a dead rat uh, nice. because she was mentally ill and didn't know what she was doing. We had another story of a encampment where rats were, um, you know, eating people alive, essentially, who were passed out on, on, uh, on opioids. So, it can get really brutal, and unfortunately, even the most brutal stories that come up in the news night after night have been unable to shift the political winds. Um, but I think what you are hinting at, and is absolutely true and bears out in the research, is that homelessness over the last 10 years is down in 39 out of 50 states. It's only up in 11 states. And what you see, there's a strong correlation between permissive political cultures and an increase in homelessness. 
And what that means is, uh, you know, Pittsburgh PD or Houston PD or even Chicago PD, um, they're going to go after street disorder, uh, public drug consumption, tents in the streets. The political culture there is going to go after that fairly aggressively. Whereas in San Francisco and Seattle, um, you know, they've pretty much legalized tent, in, tent encampments in any city in any downtown and said, you know, we really don't want to disturb people. They have a right to sleep here. So what you see is that the more that you permit in your public policies, the bigger the problem gets. And it's going to take a, a big cultural change in order to make any progress on these issues. Good luck with that out west, um, the cultural change. But, um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the word vagrancy and that there were actually, uh, I'm guessing there are still vagrancy laws on the books, I would guess they're here, they're on the laws here in Pittsburgh. Maybe I should look into that. I mean, I don't know why anybody would change them or eliminate them. Are there actual laws that that have been changed to allow this to happen? That you know, laws that because this doesn't this is still a relatively new thing. Would you have uh, tent cities set up in within you know inside cities on sidewalks? So there used to be, if you were a vagrant, they picked you up and threw you in the can. Well, here's what's happened, and, and you've really hit the nail on the head. That's a perfect question because what's happened over the last 10 to 15 years is that there there were anti-vagrancy laws on the books, but systematically the ACLU and homeless advocate organizations have filed lawsuits and eviscerated all of these laws. On the Ninth Circuit, they've been basically ruled unconstitutional. Uh, you have a constitutional right to panhandle in some cases. If the cities don't have enough shelter space to accommodate everyone, uh, you actually have a constitutionally protected right to camp and sleep and eat on the streets. Um, and you've seen the real kind of hardcore civil libertarian ACLU type organizations um, systematically uh, undermine and invalidate all of the old laws that were used to maintain public order. And then you have the situation where it is now where cities uh, are, are essentially have fewer and fewer options at their disposal and have basically given up, and they're basically saying, we're going to tolerate this. Um, we're going to hope that if we just spend enough money on social programs, the streets will somehow magically clean up. Um, unfortunately, that's not what's happened. Well, what, what, if they, what if somebody came up with a plan to have hire people to go poop in front of Nancy Pelosi's house? You know, just set up a tent and start pooping. Do you think she might notice it? <laughs> You know, I, uh, I I can't endorse that plan, but I, I think that I, if you I, did that... I, I, I strongly <laughs> yeah. endorse it, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah, well, what, what I'll say, though, is that it's, it's a real hypocrisy. And what you see even in Seattle, I actually mapped out uh, every reported homeless encampment in the city of Seattle for 2018 onto yeah. a map. I did a data visualization. And what you'll see is a very striking pattern. Homeless encampments are tolerated in the poorest neighborhoods, in the neighborhoods where the fewest people speak English, in the neighborhoods uh, that are essentially the most uh, uh, disadvantaged. They flourish in those neighborhoods, but in the wealthy neighborhoods where the people who control Seattle politics live, homeless encampments get cleaned up immediately. They're almost never a problem. So you see the political elite uh, professing these virtuous policies but in their own neighborhoods, practicing the opposite approach. Yeah. And I think it really lays bare the hypocrisy of these policies. And if you if you did try to do that in Nancy Pelosi's house, I know for sure within right. within two minutes, they'd be, <laughs> they'd be chewing you well, out of there. I'm, I'm all for hiring people to go do it. Um, I, I have a little less than a minute left here, Chris. 
uh, President Trump has threatened to do something about it. Is there something he can do about it? Yeah, you know, the federal government does have a big role, and I think that the folks that they've hired at HUD uh, to lead this effort at the Interagency Council on Homelessness, uh, there's recently a change from an Obama appointee to a guy named Robert Marbut, I think are big, positive changes. Uh, I, I've stayed in touch with uh, the, the leaders at HUD. Um, they have a good understanding of the problem. They're implementing some much-needed reforms. Uh, but ultimately, this is a local problem, and if the cities themselves don't want to cooperate with the federal government and they don't want to change the underlying policies, there's really not much that can be done. And uh, I think what you'll see in the next few years is cities that want to improve the quality of life on the streets, you're going to see them reducing homelessness, and the cities that want to continue doubling down on these same failed policies are going to see the problem concentrated more and more within their city boundaries. Well, they deserve whatever they get. Uh, Chris, I, I, Chris, I, uh, for I, they deserve what they get for the politicians deserve what they get, but the people deserve what they get for continuing to elect them. I, I guess that's my feeling, but it's I have zero patience for it. But uh, I, I, Chris, I appreciate you being on. Always good to have you on. You're doing great work on this subject. I wish more people would listen to you. Thanks, John. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right. The team at MyPillow is grateful for you, so grateful they have an amazing offer. Buy one, get one on their incredible sheet sets. Mike Lindell has come out with the world's most comfortable bed sheets. He finally found the best cotton in the world in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all come together to create the ideal weather conditions for growing cotton. His new Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with this long staple cotton, and he guarantees they will be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. The first night you sleep on my sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. The Giza Dream sheets are available in a variety of colors, and like all of Mike's products, they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Right now, you can buy one, get one free, by calling 800-716-8087 and use promo code STAG. For a limited time, you can buy one, get one free. Call 800-716-8087 or go to MyPillow.com, but make sure to use the promo code STAG. Hi, this is Rhett Rasmussen of BestHotGrill.com. We make the Solaire Infrared Grills, those amazing gas grills that heat up to over 1,000 degrees in just three minutes to provide professional chef quality performance in your own backyard. Now, you won't find them in the big box stores. Solaire is sold only by the finest specialty retailers who recognize Solaire as the only real hot, fast grill. If you live in an area without a Solaire dealer, Solaire has the demo program where you can try a mini version of a full-size grill in your own backyard, grilling the foods you love. It's made with the same design, materials, components, and performance of the big Solaires, but in a size Solaire can easily ship to you. Try before you buy so you'll know firsthand why Solaire is the last grill you'll ever purchase. Learn more about the demo program and these fantastic USA-made grills at BestHotGrill.com. That's BestHotGrill.com. BestHotGrill.com. She seems happier. Her fur is so much shinier, silkier, softer. She has really mellowed a lot. Sheba is a 105 lean pounds of shiny, smooth, happy dog. For life. The shedding has stopped. The itching has stopped. Since 2001, we've helped more than a quarter million dogs get over their nutritional deficiency miseries. And saved our customers bazillions in vet bills. Everything. 
everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Come to Dynavite for help. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite for life. Don't let your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy. Come to Dynavite for help. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. At Harry's, we work day and night to make shaving enjoyable. We think we've got it down to a science, actually. It starts with the most important stuff, our five-blade cartridges. They're strong, sharp, and made in our world-class German factory. Our craftsmen are a meticulous bunch. They're obsessed with quality, which is why we offer a 100% money-back guarantee. As for the handle, it's grippy and weighted for extra control, even when wet. Lastly, we have this whole no-ripping-people-off policy, which means we keep our prices fair every day. Take our blades. They cost as little as $2 each. Because we think more money in your pocket is as enjoyable as it gets. When you're ready to start shaving the enjoyable way, get your Harry starter set. It includes a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and travel cover, all for just $3. Free shipping included. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388 at checkout. Harry's, engineered for enjoyment. This is the John Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. And we have a little breaking news here. The uh, President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, will address the nation tonight at 9 o'clock on the spiraling events prompted by public fears over the coronavirus, including today's 1,465-point drop in the Dow, the decision by the National Association of Broadcasters to cancel its iconic Las Vegas trade show next month, and this afternoon's decision by the NCAA that neither the men's nor women's college basketball championships will allow fans to attend out of public concerns about the virus. Now, um, earlier today, Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, who is the uh, president's guy on this, He's a he's a um, an expert on this stuff. An Institute of Health and uh, he, he's a he is the um, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at National Institutes of Health. He said it would be a good idea if people did not congregate in big crowds, and he said that probably be a good idea not to have fans go to games. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, the president, how he works this one, because the Penguins just announced a little while ago that they are planning to have a game on. Uh, well, they have a game scheduled Sunday, and there will be fans there. Um, and I, I'm not a doctor, but it still seems like hysteria to me. But well, it's going to be interesting to see how this works. If uh, if the college basketball, uh, NCAA basketball tournament is going to be played in front of no fans how can the nba the nhl major league baseball in another few weeks how can they have fans where does it end well it's beginning maybe we'll see what happens tonight maybe the president will clear it up tonight at nine o'clock i'm done for now i'll talk to you tomorrow bye the john steigerwald show is a production of am 1250 the answer and salem media group